This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're going to be working, looking at various passages, passages in Hebrews 3 and 4. So go to the beginning of the book, Hebrews 3 and 4. We just heard sung about the peace of mind that we can have in His presence, and that is exactly the truth, the theme of the truth that we're going to be considering tonight. The U.S. Department of Labor has this to say on their website about Labor Day. Labor Day is a creation of the labor movement and is dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. Praise the Lord for the ingenuity and the productivity of the American worker. It really has made our world a very different place. Many have found, however, that the longer they are at a job, the harder it is to keep focused, do their best, and not become weary, weary of pressures, deadlines, routines, and sometimes even personalities. Perhaps this is reason, at least in part, why the average American worker by age 40 has held at least eight different jobs. Now there are other reasons, complications perhaps for that, but that's, that's the, the statistic. Uh, by 40 they've had eight different occupations. As one farmer quipped, probably the oldest occupation in this land, one farmer said this, the hardest thing about milking cows is that they never stay milked. I come from a farming family, and uh, it's not the farmer who's in control, it's the milk cow, trust me. But that's the way work is. It's, it's like this, it just never stops. We catch up and there's always more to do. Now one of the things we can also agree on is that most workers need more rest. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Business Insider Magazine quoted a Gallup survey that found that Americans work an average of 10 hours, more hours a week than our neighbors in Europe. Besides working crazy hours, other things set us apart from the work habits of most of the world. And this magazine, uh, again, Business Insider, uh, quoted some work habits uh, that make us very different from the rest of the world. And here are some of the things they noted. Uh, we hardly ever go on vacation. Now, I think generally uh, that's true, uh, though members at Good News like to travel. God bless you. You give your pastor a little bit of heartburn because uh, you may be gone for a few weeks. And, oh, pastor, we're fine. We're just on vacation. We're okay. But to overall, we don't go on vacation enough. And my wife likes to remind me of that. 
not taking family leave, eating at our desks through lunch. How many of you, okay, working lunches, all right, okay, you do that. The rest of the world usually doesn't. We don't take enough breaks. What also makes us unique is that we tend to send work emails after hours. Do you do that? Uh, the statistics, as I was preparing for the message, said that COVID and working from home has only magnified these areas for the American worker because now work is right there. Now, any Christian who has a heart for the Lord also realizes that being a Christian, if you're committed to serving the Lord, it is hard work. Over time, we can wear out if we serve Christ in our own strength. There have been whole articles written on Christian burnout. Galatians 6, 9 warns us, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, what? Faint not. But have you ever been in one of those seasons or had one of those times where it just felt like, I don't know that I can give, um, give much more. This is why Philippians 3, 3 warns, And have no confidence in the flesh. Don't depend on your flesh. So the writer of Hebrews addresses this very issue in chapters 3 and 4. Israel, like many Christians, started out with commitment. You'll remember that in all of them left Egypt. They were zealous to leave, cross the Red Sea. God gives them the law, and, and they were very quick to say, whatever the Lord has said, we'll do it. Interestingly, the, their children that entered then into the promised land, again, when the law is quoted, when there are reminders of the law, what do the children of that last generation, what do they say uh, to Joshua? Whatever the Lord says, we're going to do it. There was commitment. There was confidence. There was zeal. Yet as they battled the flesh daily, and as we battle the flesh the world's hostility, when we face other testing. It's true that our love can grow cold as we try to maintain devotion to the Savior to the end of life. All right? And we've, some even fall away. So one of the evidences of, true, of a true believer is that they maintain faithfulness, steadfastness, continue to serve, continue to follow right up until the end. They cross the finish line strong. The biblical doctrine is perseverance. Call it the perseverance of the saints. But again, with many, love waxes cold. Folks slow down. Sometimes they go to the sidelines and they just prefer to watch the rest of the game. But not so with Jesus. He stayed true right up until the course that his father had set for him was finished. And through his strength, until Jesus returns, we can be faithful as he was. Now let's just set the stage by looking at Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll see something that will help us 
to maintain faithfulness, but also to depend on the Lord. Chapter 3, notice verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Go to chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, again, hold fast our profession. That's really the word for confession. You confess. Hold on to that. Don't slow down. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Hold fast your confession. And these two verses, 3.14 and 4.14, are kind of bookends to a passage. As you think about the scripture, if you start feeling tired, I just don't know if I can go on. I need my strength renewed. Remember that right in between these texts, you have the doctrine for biblical rest. The spiritual rest you need to continue. Every Christian here gets tired. We get tired in the race that God has put before us. The key to not growing weary in our labor for Christ is knowing how to rest. This is true for those who are right now in ministry. This is true for those who are transitioning from one ministry to another or getting ready to start a new ministry. The McCains are here tonight. This is the teaching from our Lord to help us to rest and renew so that we continue, can continue on for God. Did you know that 12 times in chapter 13, chapters 13 and 14, the writer mentions rest, referring to it as entering into Christ's rest. I meant chapter 3 and 4. Right? Entering into Christ's rest. And so that's the title of the message tonight. Entering into Christ's rest. Now to help us understand the rest that we have in Christ, these chapters give us three well-known examples from Scripture. And you will see how the Holy Spirit weaves all this together to give us some very, very helpful teaching. All right, so what are those examples? Here they are. I'll just give them to you and then we'll look at them. The examples of rest, creation, Canaan, and then Calvary. To be more specific, God, what he did at creation. When we think about Canaan, Joshua in Canaan, and then the text will also fast forward uh, to later David during Israel's monarchy. There's a reference to that. And then Jesus at Calvary. So you're in chapter 4. Let's begin by looking at God at creation in this matter of rest. Chapter 4 and verse 3. For he, for we which believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. So the example of God at creation. 
In Hebrews 3, God declared judgment on the children of Israel who left Egypt and would not believe him about entering Canaan. That's just in the verses that follow. The judgment was primarily that they had forfeited Canaan's rest. So when the Lord said, you can't enter in, you can't go into Canaan. We tend to think, okay, so they, they couldn't enjoy a land where milk and honey flowed, uh, the, great, you know, the grapes and all, all of the, that. Uh, that was that, no, the judgment was they forsook, forfeited rest. And what was the alternative? They wandered in the wilderness then for 40 years. It just wears me out thinking about that. But they could have had God's rest, or they could wander. All right? But before the second example, God shows us that He created the universe and then rested. Now, did God need to rest? What do you think? Yes or no? No. No. He's, he's infinite in His power. We say He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is so powerful that all he has to do is think it, speak it, and it's done. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Okay? That's what he didn't have to even break a sweat. So in six days he created, on the seventh day he rested. Now why? To enjoy the fruit of his labor, but also to be an example to us. Do you and I need rest? Yes. In fact... You need rest every week, and God has ordained that you take a day to rest. We do not observe the Sabbath today. That's day six. We have Saturday. Uh, we worship on the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. But the Sabbath principle is you need to change your routine. There needs to be a day that you take away from work. You can do other work, but, but you need to rest Many believers use the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, to worship and then uh, we talk about napping, resting in the afternoon. Well, that, that's a good thing. God requires that. And by the way, science has told us that those who take time to rest are healthier than those who do not. So the Lord did that for our example. But not only was He showing us we need to rest, He was also teaching us something about future rest, spiritual rest that would be provided by Christ. And that's fast-forwarding now to where we're going to be at the end of the message. So we'll see the significance of this in a moment. But the exa second example I've already alluded to. Before the Lord ever talks about Canaan, He talks about creation. Now let's talk about Canaan. This is where the writer of Hebrews spends the greatest amount of time. Go back to chapter 3. And notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, when they provoked the Lord, when did they do that? In the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw, they tested the Lord, and saw my works 40 years. 
Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Pause. What are God's ways? You need to rest. That, that is God's way, right? Okay, move on. Verse 12, 11. So I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into, not just rest, but what? My rest. That I have not only shown you, but that I am working to provide for you. Israel didn't want it. Drop down now to verse 16 in the same chapter. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we, here's the application, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And we'll see later. So don't practice unbelief. It's not restful. <laughs> All right. I don't want to get off uh, on the application yet. So go to chapter 4 now and look at verse 1. Let us therefore fear. Let us take note, is the idea, lest a promise being left us of entering into rest. They had promises. They wouldn't believe. We have promises. We better believe. Lest any of you should seem to come short of it, the promise, and the rest. For unto us was the gospel preached as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What was God trying to do? Provide salvation and rest for Israel. They wouldn't believe. Not until the next generation that saw what happened to their parents, they were willing to believe. The example for us is God has given us promises for salvation. And remember, the gospel is not just salvation, eternal life. It's salvation. We get to enjoy our eternal life right now, our sanctification, by believing God and allowing Him to work through us so that we can have His blessing, including rest. Including rest. Now, during Moses' time, another rest was promised, which most of the generation that left Egypt missed out of because of unbelief. That's chapter 3 and verse 16. Now notice that even after the children of Israel crossed Jordan and went into the promised land, a future rest still waited for God's people. Look at chapter 4 and verse 8. This was not the final rest. Verse 8 says, For if Jesus had given them rest. Now pause. This is the Greek word, Jesus, or um, that's the Latin, but uh, it, it's Yeshua, it's Joshua. This is a reference not to our Savior, but to Joshua. If he had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? It was not the final rest. The Lord was putting Israel there because through Israel, remember the Abrahamic promise, he would bring the one, the Prince of Peace, that would bring rest to the world. Okay. Uh, so, speaking of the time of Joshua, and then chapter 4 
in verse 7. Again, he limited a certain day, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. David said that. Now here's the question. Where does David say that? If you have a concordance or with Bible software, you can compare passages. What will happen is when you read that, it will take you back to Psalm 95. Would you go back there with me? Now, when you get there, I want you to look and see if there is any heading under Psalm 95. Do you see a heading there, yes or no? There is not one there. But let's read this psalm. I'll read it, and you see if you can see any parallels with what we've seen in Hebrews and what is said here in Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Now just make a note. A reference to creation. There's your first parallel with what we've seen in Hebrews. Let's keep going. The sea is his, and he, what? He made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice. Ah, now Watch. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now Hebrews told us who said that. It was David. It was David. So, go back to Hebrews now. You recognize the parallels. This psalm is an invitation by God to his people, the sheep of his pasture, to worship him. Old Testament. Watch. Hebrews uses it to call the sheep of God's pasture to worship in the New Testament. Who's that? It's not Israel. It's, it's us. It's the church. So ultimately, the rest spoken of points where? Go to chapter 4 again. Notice verse 9. Here's where it points. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Drop down to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, not Joshua now, but Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, our confession. And so ultimately where does that read us? We've seen God's rest at creation. Joshua's rest, leading the children of Israel into Canaan. David, during Israel's monarchy, including Psalm 95. 
And now, ultimately, we're brought back to the ultimate rest, Jesus at Calvary. Remember that we started back in 314 with Christ and the fact that we have been made partakers of Him. What does that mean? We've been indwelt by His Spirit. We have His rest. We have His grace. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of what? Grace. For what reason? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the rest we see at creation, then in Canaan, then at Calvary, is not the complete secession of work. God kept working, didn't he? When, jo when Joshua, they conquered the land, did Joshua quit? Was his work done? He went into retirement. How many of you found that in the Hebrew? Didn't happen right up until the very end. He just kept going for God. What about Jesus? Did he stop working? No, no. God did not stop working. Joshua, the Lord Jesus. What we need to see is that God wants us to rest while depending on his power, his grace enablement, and claiming his promises. So we press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. But as we do that, we don't do it in our power. We do it in His strength. And we get to know the refreshment, the rest of letting Him do that work through us. Now, again, there are times that we get away for a season. But do you ever hang up your Christian hat and just coast? Do you ever do that? Is there ever a time when, when we don't need to be on the ready for our Lord? Yes or no? I, you can go on vacation, but you're still on duty. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm always on duty for the Lord. And so in chapter 4, notice how the chapter ends. Seeing we have a great high priest, verse 14, that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, he understands weakness. He knows what it is to be tired. He was in, in all points tested, tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And sometimes that grace is being able to rest. So as we look at our high priest and we go to his throne of grace, we will hold fast to our confession of Him and remain consistent in our work for Him, finding help, including rest, in the right seasons. Now, throughout these chapters, did you notice another theme that kept popping up? We are constantly told why some could not enter into rest and ended up in the wilderness. So let's close by looking at the enemy of rest. Now I could take a quiz right now, class, and see if you know what this enemy is. Some of you are already ahead, but let's, let's take a look. Let's look at three verses and you see if you can pick out this other theme. Chapter 3 and verse 12. 
Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Go to chapter 4 and verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So what's the enemy of rest? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. Do you remember all the times that Israel complained as they were journeying through the wilderness? And a lot of that complaining is that they wanted more rest, more water, more food. They wanted Egypt. Do you know that there are believers who are convinced, some of God's people are convinced, that it's more restful <clears throat> doing it the world's way? Do you know what God is teaching us in His Word? Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the way of the transgressor is, it's really hard. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But you pick up the devil's yoke, not so easy. All right? Unbelief will always lead to the absence of rest, to turmoil. It'll wear you out. So, Unbelief. Israel heard what God said and saw what he did when they obeyed. But they refused to go forward and did not experience spiritual and frankly or physical rest. I'm intrigued by the phrase in chapter 4 verse 11 in Hebrews. Labor therefore to enter in into that rest. Have you ever put labor and rest together? Now, when it comes to physical labor, it's hard to do that. You, you need a break. It's not talking about that. In the Christian life, in your Christian journey, labor to enter into rest. Now, do you have to do some work to get ready for a vacation? Sure you do. Right? You have to prepare so that you can have that rest. Did you know that labor is required to enter into Christ's rest? And it's very simple. Here it is. Please mark this down. You simply have to believe what the Lord has promised. Just believing. Was it easier to stay in Egypt or to just believe God and get out of Egypt? Which one was it? In Egypt, they were beating you. Get out of Egypt, and you know, if you'll just follow the Lord, he'll part Red Seas. He'll give you food from heaven. You won't even have to go shopping for your shoes and your clothes. He just won't let that wear out. That sounds really good. Some of you moms are saying, that sounds restful. Okay. What did they need to do? Believe God. When did it get complicated and hard? Stop believing God. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness, think about Jesus as our perfect example. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, there's the work part, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There's the rest. Just continue to believe God 
And that labor will lead you to rest. Christians who believe God's word yield to the Holy Spirit for strength and go to the throne of grace to find help in need. Experience the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's next? Peace from the Prince of Peace. He said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Which includes taking his yoke upon us, learning from him. And you know the great thing about being in the yoke? He does the pulling. You just have to go in his direction. You know where it gets hard? Unbelief. Let him try to pull that way and you pull that way. That's hard. But the reverse is also true. Hebrews 4, look at verse 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. We have that promise. God will take your burden. He'll lift that off of you. If you'll trust him, give him your thoughts, your mind. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. All the grace you need. But if you ignore the promise... Any of you should seem to come short of it, for unto us was the gospel preached as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Christians who hear the word but refuse to mix it with faith forfeit rest. Their lives become a wilderness as they wander and wander and struggle in frustration. I do a lot of interaction with believers each week. Some of them are in our church. Some of them are not in our church. And sometimes I struggle because the way I interpret information from one of God's children, I'm always listening and assessing, are they willing? And right now, are they being obedient? And are they following the will of God? And sometimes in the midst of turmoil, I'll talk to a Christian and they've told me how they've got this all planned out and how they're going to fix it to bring them to rest. But along the way, as I'm listening to what they're saying, I see unbelief, 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 unbelief. God's going to excuse this, okay? Uh, justifiable disobedience. You, some of you parents get used to that with your kids. Justifiable, justifiable disobedience. Unbelief with good reasons. I've been guilty of that. Probably you have been too. But as I listen to their plans to get out of this difficult situation, disobedience, disobedience, God will understand. I'm going to do it my way. I know here's what he said, but I need to skirt that right now. And you know what that tells me? They're going to stay in this mess. They cannot enter into rest. Because when it comes to simple obedience, there's unbelief. And so it's okay. Do it your way. I love you as your pastor. Come back see me when you tell me that that didn't work so well for you. Say, Pastor, how do you know these things? Because I've tried them too. I know what God says. I've tried it too. I'll take this easy road. Yeah, there's unbelief, but you know, God will understand and, and, and uh, it'll all work out. No, it won't. 
and rest has evaded me in peace until I ran up the pole and said, God, your word is clear. Your promises are sure. I'm going to obey you. And Lord, you're going to have to sort this out. And guess what? He sorts it out. He's really good at that. So let's conclude. Brethren, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Romans 14, 19. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Our Savior would have us enter into his rest, and he's shown us the way of peace. But travelers must be willing to obey by faith. Yesterday, Brother Chuck Huffmaker shared the challenge with us, with the men at Men's Prayer Breakfast. It was outstanding. But you'll remember the truth that he shared with us. He's reading a book right now, Evangelist John Van Gelderen has written, where it talks about daily steps of depending on the Holy Spirit. And, and I smiled as I, as I thought about what he was saying because of where we were going to be tonight. That's exactly the point. We never stop moving forward. But you can have a restful journey. Just make sure that you're living in dependence on the Lord and committed to obedience regardless of what the Lord has said. And you can keep going. And by the way, you'll cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But what does it require? The rest of just being obedient to the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Restful people, rested people are happy people. But you have to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your truth. Thank you for the rest that you offer us, for these examples in Scripture. Lord, you did all these great things for Israel. Lord, to bring them out of the Egypt and then to bring them into Canaan. But Lord, we see times of rest and we see times that were of great upheaval. And it all depended on whether they were willing to follow you into rest through obedience and trusting you. So Lord, as we close tonight, God, would you help us to examine whether we're at rest, whether we're at peace with you. Have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.